You have entered deeply into the infested starport, but something is wrong. The monsters have brought their own reality with them, and the starport's technology is being subverted by their presence. Ahead, you see an outpost of hell, a fortified zone. If you can get past it, you can penetrate into the haunted heart of the starbase and find the controlling switch which holds Earth's population hostage. That's tonight on the Commune Podcast. Join us for a discussion about Doom 2. In this opening segment, I'll ask Daniel, Adrian, and Shouty what they think of Doom 2 in general. Daniel, how are you finding Doom 2 so far? I'm enjoying Doom 2 more than I am the original Doom. It's interesting because there's there's not the episodic structure. So with the episodes, you can kind of uh, group the levels uh, according to episodes. But it's interesting trying to group the levels in Doom 2 because there's just, you know, 1 to 30. And so you're looking for the commonality across the levels. And uh, I think I enjoy the levels by uh, American McGee. I like the economical use of space. Uh, Sandy Peterson in the sort of in the middle of the game has a whole bunch of levels which are sort of isolated challenges that can all bleed on together and that and that are often set in more open environments. And then near the end of the game it kind of mellows out a bit and it kind of goes to something I'm not sure actually, I haven't really figured out the last part of the game, but I I enjoy uh, American McGee's use of space and keys and locks. I thought that was quite effective. And I can appreciate the open-ended challenges that Sandy Peterson has, yeah, which wasn't really present that much in the original Doom. So, yeah, I'm, I'm finding overall, you know, with what's on offer, there's more to like than dislike. Isn't that weird that, like, a lot of times we talk about the levels with respect to their authors, but I don't do that with any other video game. I think it's because the information is so um, transparent. Like they actually say on the Doom Wiki who does what, uh, who does which levels, and because of when the game was made, and because of the uh, the cultural significance of Doom, and I mean the significance of Doom on games as a whole, um, the uh, the names of the individual designers are quite well known. So I think it makes it easier to uh, to work in that way. Adrian, how are you finding Doom 2 so far? Yeah, overall, I do, I'm do. similar to Daniel. I do find that Doom 2 contains more of the kind of uh, shooting gameplay that I enjoy and that I was hoping more out of from Doom 1. I'm getting it in Doom 2. Um, the game, unfortunately, ended on a bit of a low note for me, and uh, I do see that a lot of the issues from the f- that I found in the first Doom have persisted into the second Doom, uh, and even in some instances have actually gotten worse. So, but overall I do find, I do find the game better and more to my liking compared to the first one. Yeah, I, I feel like the game is definitely more difficult, and just for that reason alone I don't like it as much as the first Doom even if some aspects of it are more interesting. 
Yeah, I think part of the reason for that is because they'd already made their first game, they had a much clearer idea of what they wanted to do with the second. And although I don't, uh, I guess, as a group, we don't all like certain aspects of that, but they were able to do the bits that we enjoy a lot more effectively. Like I feel like the levels had more character and purpose and direction, and they also had a lot less, uh, a lot fewer hub areas. And when they did have hubs, they used it in a more meaningful way. So, and I wonder how the changes um, in these games has has tracked from if you go all the way back to Catacombs 3D or Wolfenstein, and you look at that kind of design, and then you compare it all the way through to Doom and then Quake and then their later games. But, um, you know, just speaking quite generally here, so. Okay. Shouty, how do you like Doom 2? You've been playing this for way longer than any of us, right? Right. I think Doom 2 is, um, is, I guess, the complete form of Doom 1. But I think with that comes with making it into a sort of mixed bag because it adds a lot of different ideas that are not really well executed as much as they could be. And it might just be because of the additions of those ideas, such as new monsters and new weapons, or I guess one new weapon that just feels a little bit um, undercooked. But I think overall it's the best Doom experience you can have. Or I guess the fullest experience. There's something implicit when you say fullest, like somehow the the first game stopped short or something. Like, what do you mean by fullest? Well, uh, the first game was pretty minimalist with its approach to enemies and um, the level design. It was more, um, I guess it's because of the way they made the levels in regard to making them more accessible. But here, um, the levels in, in Doom 2 really pull up uh, the stops and try to make full use of the mechanics. So that you feel like Doom 2 more fully explores the design space that it has set out? Yeah, I think so. I think it has a more self-aware grasp on how things work in the Doom world. Which is only natural because it's a sequel. Next, we'll go through everybody's favorite levels and briefly consider why we found them compelling. Daniel, what's your favorite moment from Doom 2? I guess there are lots of little moments that I really enjoy. I'd probably say that uh, map 7 is probably my favorite, uh, dead simple. And what I liked about that level is that it really gels with my understanding for what the core Doom gameplay is. And it's very different to the levels in the original Doom. The main reason why I like that level is that it's an open environment, uh, the enemies are all projectile based, there's enough space and the number of enemies isn't like it's not super dense like some of the later levels where they just go nuts with that 
and so you can really uh, navigate between the bullets of the uh, uh, the I guess the fire of the of the mancubus. Yeah, and so there's really those two challenges. So there's the first one, which is the, taking on the mancubus and engaging in that interplay. And you've also got a bit of cover as well. So if you are not as, I guess you can scale the challenge, right? So if you're not as confident in being out in the open, you can kind of hide, you know, duck back for a bit. There's the placement of the pickups are really focused around risk and reward where there's switches that you can access, which will then lower the platforms where the mancubus are. Um, on each of the platforms, there's various drops, which are really quite helpful. But if you then lower each of the daises, then you're also allowing the mancubus to walk around the environment. So there's a clear risk reward. There's also a clear risk reward in that even if you do kill one of the mancubus on a dais and then you run out and get the pickups, there's also the three other mancubus that are in that area as well that can attack you, so there's clear risk reward there. That's the first challenge. Second challenge is a series of the arachnotrons which are in that outer area. And what I really like about it is that, well, firstly, these, I mean, these enemies, it seems like they're plasma bullets. They're green plasma projectiles move faster than the fire from the... Uh, fire from the mancubus and so in order to balance that out you're actually given a bit more space as the environment opens up and uh, i think there's two of them on each side and they move uh, they try and track you and so depending on where you are in the environment you can use that outer edge to really simplify the challenge and take them on individually or you can just go for mad chaos and complexity and and hang around in that in the central sort of atrium area and take them all on at once from all you know be shot at from all different angles it's a super emergent kind of environment and i love how the outer edge um, obscures the arachnotrons and so you hear them before you see them and so there's the whole like it plays into the whole sound thing where you hear an enemy grunting and you know it's coming towards you and then you just hear all these spiders getting closer to you and of course the sound effect is like quite freakish and so it's I, I i just thought it was wicked that you can be in this environment and you can hear them all coming towards you and you're not quite sure if they're coming from the left or the right and so there's that whole thing and i think the op the environment on the outside is also big enough or it's it's long enough on each end that you can create some space between you and the arachnotrons there's the other thing where is if you're in, say, any of the corners and if they enter from either side, you can be flanked there as well. So it's just so a simple environment, really clear risk-reward setups. The enemies are all projectile-based. Yeah, it's not too dense. It's simple and easy to understand, and it's really emergent based on the player's behavior, and it ties into the core Doom gameplay for all those reasons. So I this was my favorite level. A plus. <laughs> it's funny what an arena with four pillars and four walls will do for you. Yeah, a hell of a lot. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and so I thought that, you know, I still think this is my favorite level of both games so far. It's 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 dead simple, but it's um, it plays to the strengths mm. of Doom. All right. 
Yeah. Um, I might just add as well that I think the uh, what I enjoy about Dead Simple is the emergent layered nature. Um, and I think that that is quite distinct from what we see in, well, in downtown and in, uh, and in the suburbs where, or actually, sorry, it's quite similar to the suburbs, except the suburbs is a bit more chaotic and there's more teleports and it's a much more complex arrangement. Whereas Adrian said before, you know, it's, it's more about sort of like a left for dead situation where you're being swamped with enemies there's interiors and exteriors that you can use to your advantage, and the, and you can also facilitate enemy infighting. Whereas in Dead Simple, the the enemies are isolated from each other, and you have to kill the Mancubus before you get to the Arachnotrons, and therefore um, there's no enemy infighting or anything like that. It, it's it's quite simple. Anyway, so my point was that I think the emergent nature of Dead Simple. Is something I really enjoy. It plays with the Triumphs of Doom, but it's also distinct from other areas which have more, uh, which have challenges tailored around the the particular characteristics of enemies, such as in the little buildings in downtown, for example. And so I think those two things come together, which is the emergent layering of enemies and then these kind of unique setups. Put those two up together, and I would say that those two types of gameplay challenges play to the core of Doom's gameplay. I guess after that I should ask, let's go down the line and Shadi, what's your favorite level? My favorite level is probably Catacombs. I guess I like it because it feels self-contained, but in a way that still makes it feel like you're um, moving through different locations. And I think that's what I really value in Doom is that... uh, there's still this dungeon crawling aspect, but it doesn't get in the way of the the core mechanics of um, avoiding uh, enemies. Basically, what Daniel described in Dead Simple. So, when you say dungeon crawling, I'm understanding that to mean like blocks and keys, and like uh, having to pick up a key or hit a switch somewhere to open a door elsewhere. Well, it's not just that. It's I guess, well, I guess that does, uh, that is in catacombs to some extent, but it's more about, um, uh, moving down hallways, uh, turning corners, and, um, I guess feeling like you're actually, uh, traversing an area instead of just staying put. Right, where suburbs and Dead Simple, you have access to pretty much the entire map right from the get-go. In catacombs, the map gradually unfurls as you build bridges and stuff, right? Yeah. So, I guess as a counterpoint, can you name, like, what is a time when the dungeon crawling gets in the way of the core gameplay? I think it's downtown, actually, because um, people are describing it as an awkward place to to, uh, negotiate, then that already gets in the way of the core gameplay. For catacombs, it's a great example of an American McGee level where it's a really, uh, as you're saying, Greg, it's a sort of economical use of space where locks and keys are used to make the player um, double back through the environment more than once. And from memory, I think each time, well, as you move through the environment, there are little sort of closets of monsters and little pockets that open up and it kind of, um, and there is some degree of variation. From memory, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm 
I, I'm quite sure that's the case. But I thought that this was, it was interesting just having an American McGee style level fit in amongst all of these uh, Sandy Peterson levels, I think. How would you state Sandy Peterson's sensibility? I guess it's a bit different uh, for maps, uh, for the maps in the middle chunk of the game. So from like 8 to about 20-ish, the Sandy Peterson levels are are kind of um, hubs with kind of interesting tailored challenges, but they also do kind of trying to mimic uh, suburban, uh, you know, real-world spaces, as we talked about before. But I think that kind of does change um, when you get to the final chunk of the game, which is what, from map 20, I think? From map 20 onwards, you get into, you know, it becomes a bit more hellish in nature. And I'm, I'm still figuring out those, uh, those maps because I haven't... Yeah, I'm not really sure about Sandy Peters' maps in the later third of the game, but certainly in the middle, it's you know, as I as I described. When you put it like that, Catacombs is like the anti-Sandy Peterson level because, well, ostensibly there's a hub, but it's way too small, and like <laughs> a revenant blows you to smithereens the moment you enter it because you have like one pixel to stand on. Yeah. I mean, in saying that, though, I do think that they don't have the the wastage from Doom 1 where he was working with Tom Hall's, um, you know, what I presume to be, you know, um, Tom Hall's really um, cardboard mazes um, and, and awkward use of hubs um, and junctures. I think in Doom 2 we actually get to see, well, I mean, you know, in Doom 2 he, he's not, having to edit other people's levels he's just purely making his own and i think that as we were saying um earlier on i think the his levels have much more direction as a as a result all right adrian what's your uh what would you say is your favorite moment or level in doom 2 what picture would you paint for me to explain doom 2 well i i was actually really enjoying the the final level I'm talking map 29 in specific. Up until the very end, uh, they put a cyber demon in a really fucking stupid spot with two revenants on both sides, which doesn't make any sense how you're supposed to fight that goddamn thing without getting hit. So I cheesed the son of a bitch, went off into a far off corner, and rocket launchered him to death uh, after he killed one of the revenants after they started infighting, and then I went in and finished off the last revenant. It was a very, like, slow boring way to take out this enemy because he has way too much health so that part i didn't enjoy everything before that i thought was okay that one had a lot of the setups that uh i i actually fairly enjoyed and the map is much more straightforward than other doom levels it's not concerned with making you go back actually i don't think that level has a single key in it uh so that one is just a gauntlet of a variety of enemies and they almost throw one of every kind at you and in a variety of ways and setups and that one uh, I really enjoyed. You said you didn't like how Doom 2 uses cyber demons. Uh, what about things like tricks and traps? Tricks and traps? That was the one that gets into a fight with all of the barons so that one all practically isn't even really a, a cyber demon because the barons typically kill him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
I guess I can't really think of any other parts where Doom 2 uses the Cyber Demon besides infighting. I also enjoy uh, Suburbs. It plays to a similar advantage to Dead Simple that I, I find, which is these large open areas where you have plenty of space to avoid projectiles from a, a mob of enemies, which is exactly what they do. Um, you have the interiors and exterior spaces, so you get to have the experience of fighting enemies while well, not only just approaching these setups in any order and sometimes from multiple angles because I know one of the buildings is like three doors you can get into it. Uh, you also have being able to shoot uh, at enemies such as a revenant through windows so you have you know your window shooting you have fighting enemies in interiors from which you can approach through separate doors and then you have fighting a whole horde of enemies out in the open and if you don't feel like fighting them all out in the open you have that invulnerability spear that can help you take out a good chunk of them. Uh, the only thing, of course, that I don't like in that level is that you have to run over lava to actually trigger, to get one of the keys and then trigger the whole thing. But, you know, that trope of Doom's level design aside, the rest of the level uh, I was fairly pleased with. As you were saying, Adrian, I think with this one, once you figure out what the triggers are to unleash all the enemies, then you start, uh, I mean, I found I started just sprinting through the map unloading all the enemies, hitting all the triggers so that they're all out in the open. And then I went into that eastmost little box, you know, into that little room, and I just took on the two revenants there. And as I was doing that, I was just leaving every, you know, all the other enemies outside just to do their own business. And then I'd come back and they'd all be fighting each other. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. It's also... The when Doom has a, mob, a, a variety mob of enemies, there is a greater chance to see and or exploit the infighting to your advantage because uh, they have to allow a certain amount of time or damage threshold before they begin uh, switching targets. The one thing that's also unique about the suburbs, which is what I think plays to Doom's strength the most, is there's not a single hitscan enemy in the whole map. So you can be out in the open, and you don't have to worry about getting sniped from some gunner you can't see somewhere, or who's just a tiny blotch of pistols, or pixels. So everything is avoidable, and I love it. It makes such a big difference. And they really don't suit these large open spaces, do they? Um, I think we talked about this uh, earlier as you were playing. I think we were discussing effective use of hitscan enemies, and one of them is not putting them far away in an open environment where they can snipe you from the other side of the from the other side of the map. Now that we've talked about some levels in particular, let's back out to a more broadly applicable discussion. What composes the core gameplay of Doom 2? Yeah, so when you say the core gameplay, what is that? What are you referring to specifically? <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, it's a pretty big question, Greg. Um, <laughs> um, I'd say, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think in the first or second podcast, I can't remember which one, um, I sort of touched on this quite briefly. Um, but basically, 
in playing Doom 1, I was thinking about, well, you know, what's the core Doom gameplay? Because, you know, I feel that the purpose of levels uh, in games is, well, the key purpose is to uh, draw on the core gameplay and to do meaningful things with the design space. So that is, you know, the, the various uh, game elements. And uh, one of my criticisms of the first Doom, and it applies to a big, you know, a fair chunk of Doom 2 as well, is that what the levels were doing were, you know, was quite tangential to what the core Doom shooting gameplay is. And so what is the core shooting gameplay of Doom? Well, it's, it's something I'm still trying to figure out, but I'd say moving through space in order to aim and to, and to dodge projectiles is part of that. So the player can move quite quickly and vertical aiming is automated. And so it's not like in, say, other first-person games where aiming is sort of like its own thing and shoot uh, and moving it's, is, is like another thing. It's like they're both quite... There's a much stronger relationship between those two things. So Doom has simplified aiming, which is you're just aiming horizontally, but your movement is quite fast. And so movement is a key part of aiming. Whereas if you think of something like CSGO, you can turn so quickly you know, that just looking in the environment is the most efficient way to aim. And it's it's kind of different to like some games like uh, like Steel Diver for the uh, Steel Diver Sub Wars for the 3DS, which is another first-person shooter game that you know I've talked a bit about um, elsewhere. In that game, aiming and moving are directly tied them together. Whereas in Doom, it's it, it's a bit different. It's a bit more like moving is like you just move so quickly that it's so that it's such an efficient way of aiming. And so it's really uh, you're moving um, left, right, uh, straight, and back, uh, um, which is your main form of movement. And then your turning is is really used just for tuning up your aiming a bit. So overall, you know, it's quite uh, and the gunplay is very spatial in nature. And so you'd expect that the levels that play to the core strengths of Doom's gameplay are themselves. Uh, do themselves do interesting things with space. Uh, and so there's that factor. And then there's also uh, things like enemy infighting, um, moving to dodge projectiles. And of course, when you're moving to dodge projectiles, you're also that also throws off your aiming as well. And then, of course, there's the, there's the weapons and the enemies from a functional point of view. I mean, each has their own pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses. And the player has to take those into consideration. And so for me... I think Doom levels that take advantage of the core of Doom really, well, I feel those levels are sort of open-ended arena levels where the different unique types of enemies are layered together to create interesting situations where you have to move to aim and shoot and to move to dodge as well. And also that take advantage of the unique characteristics of the weapons and the enemies. That's kind of my take on it so far, and I feel like Dead Simple is like that, but I'm still thinking through this whole idea. Okay. What's an example of a level that's tangential to the core of Doom? Um, yeah, look, I think a lot of the maps where they're trying to simulate um, some, like a nuclear base or a 
munitions facility or um, a, you know a transport hub or the suburbs you know the idea that you're trying to simulate a real space as opposed to crafting a level around the particular aspects of the gameplay um, is inherently a tangential thing although in some instances maybe the spaces that they're trying to create um, lend, uh, do work well with the core gameplay but generally um, they're two different things and so a lot of the levels in Doom 1 are like that. Um, some of the levels in the middle of Doom 2 are like that. The whole, I guess, the human colony where they, you know, where there's what the suburbs and um, you know, the Citadel, places like that, downtown. Um, although at the same time, those levels also do some pretty interesting stuff, which uh, they have their own individual challenges, which are tuned around the Doom gameplay. So there's a bit of an irony there, I guess. You really nailed it. The core is about moving and shooting and uh, particularly highlighting the emphasis on the projectile enemies. And since you brought up Dead Simple, both the enemies, the Mancubus and the Arachnotron, are projectile enemies. They are not the hit scan enemies where you cannot avoid their shots. And having shots that you can avoid plays more to Doom Strength and to me, the more interesting moments of Doom. So, I guess to that end, Adrian, I should ask if you agree with Daniel that um, the ones that are like more closely modeled after real uh, structures, like downtown, suburbs, etc., uh, do you think those are more or less close to the core Doom gameplay? Uh, downtown and suburbs, I think, are better approaches. Uh, they mirror the thing, but they're very clearly like not accurately reflecting them. It's, it's still fairly abstract. It's only downtown in the sense that you have buildings organized into you know blocks, and they're kind of al aligned along a grid, kind of like in a city. But beyond that, the way the enemies are placed is more in service of the gameplay, which is why you just have that big empty section right in the middle in downtown. I don't know any downtown that's like that, but the point is, it feels more in service of the gameplay. It vaguely represents it, but you know, it's not trying to be accurate to the real thing. And I think I feel the same way about the suburbs. Um, actually, I don't even know why that one's called suburbs because there's like two houses in the whole thing, and. It's really just taking advantage of the use of interiors and exteriors, which was not as prevalent in the first... Actually, I don't even think they did that at all in the first Doom, which is what makes the city maps in Doom 2 so unique when you see them the first time. It's that sense of being inside and outside, although they don't reflect real-world buildings or how they're actually structured at all. Yeah, as I said before, there's a bit of an irony here in that that these two levels on the on the face of it they're I mean well I mean they're named after you know real world locations and they somewhat try to simulate them but ironically they're also I'd say they play into Doom's core level design better than some other levels you know which aren't trying to simulate a, a real world space so you really uh, pressed us on a bit of an outlier here Greg.
The core gameplay of Doom 2 relies on moving and shooting, and enemies play an important role by incentivizing you to engage in both of those actions. With this in mind, let's review the enemy roster for Doom 2. With the first Doom, there was a you know, small roster of enemies. So it was the Cacodemon. The Cacodemon's your basically your tinky flying enemy. You have your imps, your basic projectile enemy. You have your pinkies, which are your uh, rushdown melee enemies. Uh, specters, which are just a variation where they're harder to see and more to spook you. Uh, and then you have the gunners, which are your obnoxious enemy. <laughs> they're, they're, they're supposed to be the cannon fodder enemy, but they ironically end up being the deadliest things in the game. Mm. And that's all you had for the first Doom. But in the second one, I wanted to get a gist of your thoughts on the new enemies and see what they what do you think they bring to the table. Because at a cursory glance, it just seems like, oh, they just added five more projectile enemies. You know, the Archvile is, well, technically a hit scanner, but it gets a guy who shoot, attacks from a distance. Mancubus attacks from a distance. Arachnotron attacks from the distance. Revenant attacks from a distance. So it can seem hard to know, like, what the hell do these things actually bring to Doom? But we are not normal gamers. We can actually look at the details. So I wanted to know what you guys thought of the new enemies added to Doom 2. Yeah, I had, for Doom 1, I sort of grouped the different enemies into different categories. I've just put a picture of my notes. So I've pretty much grouped it into hit scan enemies, which is your zombie man and shotgun guy, your projectile enemies, which is your imp, your baron of hell, your caco demon, and your cyber demon, and then your runner enemies, which are demons and specters, and then your lock on, which is lost souls. And that's sort of how I had conceptualized the design space of the enemies. And then you've got a few more with Doom 2, as you say. Let's see if I can find a list of the new enemies. Well, wait. Uh, Shouty, what are the new enemies in Doom 2? <laughs> okay. Um, the, the first new enemy is the Chain Gunner, which is like a shotgun guy, but... No, no, no. It's more like a zombie man, but with a higher fast rate and, uh, I guess, more bloodlust. It, it doesn't light up unless it, you're out of his sight most of the time. Then you have the Hell Knight, which is like a Baron of Hell, but weaker, so... I guess it's like a, a miniature version of a Baron of Hell, so it's not as threatening. And then you have the Mancubus, uh, which is, I guess, also like the Baron of Hell, but... They can shoot multiple projectiles at the same time. And then you have um, the Arachnitron... Arachnitron is interesting because it's like the chain gunner version of a Baron of Hell because it keeps firing until you're out of sight. And uh, you have the Revenant, which has a really interesting quirk to um, its projectiles, half of its projectiles, in that uh, they'll home in on you. So they're interesting, to say the least, because of how Doom's level design may or may not utilize that. And then there's a, I guess that's it. Besides the arch file, which um, I would also qualify as a hit as a hit scan enemy because 
it attacks you by, um, you have to be in its sights, and then after a certain amount of time, it'll deliver a, a huge amount of damage indicated by the flame that, that appears in your vision, and can also revive enemies, so it's, I mean, it's probably the most unique in terms of just what other enemies provide. I think that's all new enemies. I think you only missed one. Which one? Oh, Pain Elemental, right. The Pain Elemental is also, uh, I mean, I kind of group it in the same vein as Archvile in that it can, uh, create new enemies while the Archvile revives deceased enemies, um, the pain element will produce more lost souls and kind of use those as projectiles. So there, I guess there's like an overlap between the two. No, I think that's all the enemies. Besides the final boss. Yeah, I'm just trying to group the enemies according to the categories that I just mentioned. I've just got another screenshot I'm going to send through. So if we group them according to hit scan, projectile, runner, lock on. And I've added another one which is unique for the Archvile. Um, in terms of new enemies, the Hell Knight, the Mancubus, and the Arachnotrons. Well, uh, the Hell Knight and the Arachnotrons are sort of weaker versions of existing enemies, except the Arachnotron doesn't have a machine gun, but it has the plasma. But yeah, the Hell Knight, the Mancubus, and the Arachnotron are all projectile, like pretty typical projectile-based enemies. And then... What I might do is I'd say the Arc Vial is a completely unique kind of enemy, so that's adding something to the to the design space. I'd probably actually move the Pain Elemental into where the Arch Vial is. So the Pain Elemental isn't really like like it can't attack you, can it? It's just uh, like a spawning enemy. So I'd probably put that under unique. So the Arch Vial and the Pain Elemental are two unique enemies, and mm-hmm. then. I'm not sure where to place the heavy weapon dude, which is the chain gunner guy. Because he seems like a hit scan enemy, but he does have... I think there is a lock-on element to him. I have to ask uh, yourself to um, sort of talk us through him. And then the Revenant ha- is a projectile-based enemy, but it also but its, uh, its projectiles are, um, have a lock-on element to them. I'm not sure exactly what you mean by lock-on. Yeah, so by lock-on, um, it is a bit vague. So under this heading, I've got the Lost Souls. So, so the Flaming has a Spider Demon Mastermind from the first game, Final Boss, the Heavy Weapon Dude, and the Revenant. So originally, I just had Lost Souls because they there's something in their programming where they identify where the player is and then they have a straight linear path it's not like other enemies where they kind of zigzag or anything like that actually why did where did i put demon maybe i deleted demon oh no demon as a runner yeah so for lock on um lost souls kind of makes sense in that they're their own unique enemy although i guess a lost soul could be a flying runner you could say really by runner what i'm trying to say is um melee like a yeah. like a melee enemy, so a, a charger, a rushdown, yeah, charging yeah. enemy, charging enemy, yeah, yeah. So, and then I, the spider demon mastermind and the heavy weapon dude are pretty similar in that they both have chain guns, and there seems to be something in their programming where they kind of find their aim towards you, like they 
but I'm not really sure about that. So as to where they fit, it depends. And Revenants, they have a lock-on projectile. With the Chain Gunner, it's actually similar to the other enemies where the hit scanners have a, a bit of randomness to their accuracy, but you will see the Chain Gunners much more quickly reach their target just because of their high rate of fire. So where it's common to see a shotgunner or a zombie man miss, a chain gunner will usually miss only a little bit before he finds his mark. Maybe we should segregate categories based on how enemies move and how they attack. So, yeah, so I guess um, Raw Souls would have the movement style of locking on, but their attack style would be melee. Hmm, yeah. Well, demons would be, uh, I guess, a flanking style of movement, but they'd still be melee. No, they're not. They're not really flanking. It's they have a Zelda one style of movement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to like compare them to football players of sorts. They don't. They don't really even have the Zelda style of movement. It's just because I'm more familiar with how the Zelda AI works, but Doom does have more uh, homingness to their movement. The difference is just um, the way they seek their path is, which is what can because they are able to move orthogonally on eight directions, which is why sometimes they zigzag. But once they move straight, they will always move straight because what they're really doing is just trying to find the shortest path. And if they randomly find one that's in your direction, they pick that one. That's why they do that. I guess I'll just take this opportunity now to highlight the differences between the projectile enemies because, you know, at cursory glance, they may seem the same. Uh, for example, like the Hell Knight. The Hell Knight really is just a more... Hell Knight and Baron are just more intense versions of imps. They shoot a faster projectile and they are tankier enemies in general. The Mancubus is even tankier than that. He fires larger projectiles that are even faster but the major difference is the amount of bullets and the volley that he fires. So whereas Barons are very often, you know, one projectile at a time, this guy is has, you know, uh, double cannons. So he fires two at a time and typically in a volley of three. He'll fire about six bullets and he actually fires in a pattern that once you learn it, you can dodge him consistently. So he'll fire left, right, left. And if you dodge in that way, you can actually dodge the Mancubus and get right up in his face. And it's awesome. Mm -hmm. It takes a while to figure that out. So he doesn't even fire direct straight at you. And that's kind of what makes him so dangerous the first time. Because if you've ever picked up a partial invisibility, uh, Kako demons that don't shoot straight end up being sometimes more dangerous than if they were to just shoot straight. Because <laughs> you might accidentally wander left thinking, oh, I'm going to dodge his hit. It's like, whoops, he shot... He predicted me or something. Yeah, partial invisibility messes up how you to deal with projectile enemies like that. Yeah, because it, it makes them more random, so you almost you almost get more of that bullet hell uh, instead of being able to control all the bullets converging into one spot. So, what a what a odd power up for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Arachnotrons. Uh, I guess they can kind of be tied for Mancubus in terms of difficulty, although not in tankiness, because the Ragnatrons, they're kind of like, as the way Daniel mm -hmm. described them, where they are more 
or shouty have you one of you described them this way where they're kind of like chain gunners but with a projectile yeah where once they see you they will constantly shoot however i find besides a projectile one other crucial difference which is if you circle strafe or if you strafe around a a arachnatron as it's firing he will eventually stop shooting so at first when i was fighting him i thought he only fired a volley of three bullets but that was because i was so quickly uh strafing him that he just stopped and i don't no other enemy behaves like that i've strafed around chain gunners who just would not stop ever which is what makes them so interesting because they're an enemy where once you strafe around to their backside they have to like reposition themselves and adjust they don't rotate on a dime and as long as you're visible at any point around them. So that's another characteristic of the Arachnatron that I found interesting that I wish some of the other enemies would have because it makes moving around them more dynamic. Or, not more dynamic, but more interesting. Interplay. I want to cut you short just because Daniel posted a list of the projectile enemies, and it's quite long, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to ask if you could detail the Revenant. Revenant. Uh, the Revenant is more obvious in how it's unique, which is because it shoots a guided missile. Now, what does that mean? That means unlike an imp or a baron, or even uh, what I was describing with the Mancunis, Mancubus, where if you just dodge in a pattern of left, right, left, you will avoid his, consistently avoid his shots. Because of the guided missile, as you are sidestepping, the missile will continue to follow you, so it requires more movement. With an imp, you can have very gentle movement, same with the Baron, but because it's constantly adjusting itself to you, you have to move a lot more in order to properly avoid the guided missile. And these guided missiles, for the record, have one hell of a turning radius, so they can very easily, and this this is also, I think, a con to the enemy, where I think it's a little too sharp, because sometimes you just learn the hard way that, oh my god, this thing 360 and hit me in the back of my head. (laughs) so that's what makes them unique but what it also means is that you have this very interesting um sort of middle ground that you have to play the further away you are from a revenant the more space that gives his guided missile to track you so they're an interesting enemy where you kind of want to be closer but not so close that he can punch you in the face you almost kind of like want to dodge and move forward. That's how I've been dealing with the Revenants and consistently taking them on with no damage. That way the missile doesn't have enough space to turn around and hit you. It'll usually veer off into a wall or something. And yeah, the movement required when dealing with the Revenant is unique compared to other enemies. I don't have to move like that when I'm fighting an Imp or a Baron or a Mancubus or even the Arachnatron. Yeah, I think the best way to deal with the guided missiles of a Revenant, or um, <clears throat> I guess the missiles at all, because it's hard to tell at first whether or not it's guided, because you don't see the smoke trails right in front of it. But if you um, wait to dodge until the last second before the, the missile hits you, you can kind of move to the side, then turn, then, then like strafe uh, in front of the back of the missile, and then it'll have a the missile itself will have a tough time of trying to track you down because it'll have to go into a wider arc to reach you back around. And depending on the level design that you um, encounter, the revenant in the missile will likely hit a wall before it can get you. 
Mm-hmm. On a technical level, I, I appreciate that they, of the four new projectile enemies in Doom 2, they are the most unique in that their projectiles have a lock-on and that you have to engage with the walls and the space around you in order to avoid or to deflect the projectile. And so yeah, that's functionally distinct from the other enemies within the same category, and that is usually a win in my book. But as a player, I really hate them. They, you know, they drive me nuts. <laughs> so, um, yes, that is my experience. <laughs> I feel like they are pretty difficult, but I appreciate the low health they have. I feel like that generally balances it well enough that I don't get too frustrated. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, they are quite balanced yeah. in that way. I believe they are. Um, so it's more than a pinky, but still less than the caco demon. I think. I feel like two super shotgun shells takes it, or two super shotgun shots, is good enough. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember because I typically point blank so many enemies with the shotgun shell that even a revenant I can kill with just a few sh- or. Revenant Archvile, I can kill with just a few shots, and they actually have the fourth highest health in the whole game. So I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Archviles, I just take out the missile launcher and hold down the shot button, and hope I don't take <laughs> too much damage. <laughs> the missile launcher, really? You don't just use the uh, plasma? I'm too scared. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I'm using the wrong weapon, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> too scared to use the plasma, but not the rocket. Yeah, that's. I feel like you got that backwards. <laughs> I guess I'm assuming that the rocket launcher is doing more damage than the plasma. I think, in terms of rate of fire, the plasma can do have, has a, a much more damaging output than the rocket launcher. Yeah, that's what I was. That was about to say too. Oh well, live and learn. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, I would have just went my whole life assuming that, so I'll have to try it out. There is also, like, I'm I'm purposely uh, pistol starting every time. Oh. Mm. Okay, then if you have nothing else. I mean, I would say a chain gun is even better, because at least then you have a chance to inflict his, admittedly low, but still their pain chance. Oh, yeah. That's how I deal with the... That's actually one of the easiest ways to deal with both Mancubus and Arachnotrons. Uh, oh, I was the comment I was about to make earlier was that uh, Revenants can actually arguably be more difficult to fight taking no damage than Mancubus and Arachnotrons. That's what I was going to say before. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, what happens when you have the additional complexity of a homing missile uh, versus I just shoot more bullets. Right. Yeah, I really like how Revenants and Mancubuses draw unique paths in space. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the Cacodemon, which is just like, what if we had a flying imp? Yeah, a flying tankier imp. That property where he gets knocked back is fairly neat. I just wish... I almost wish he was a bit bouncier, so that makes him a more interesting target. 
Yeah, I don't care for how the Kakadumi just kind of drifts away like a balloon after you shoot it. I'd rather, I'd rather be like how you said it's it's bouncier. Like, if it's gonna move around, then it should be bouncy in a way that's interesting and not just drifting out of reach. Just yeah. waste time. Right, he invites you not to interact with him. <laughs> right, it's just like, all right, wait for him to come back here, and then I can start shooting him some more. <laughs> Because of his uh, larger health, and this is another thing I kind of wanted to uh, explore about the enemy design in Doom is that, and but it also relates to the pistol star and why the pistol is such a freaking useless weapon, which is that a lot of these all almost pretty all these other enemies that are more powerful than you know the imp, they take a while to die to the pistol. So it it's it's that aspect of what does that extra health actually bring to the game. Because right now, the one thing I do see is that it makes the pistol near useless and almost makes it feel like the super, the shotgun, super shotgun, and chain gun. Or, hell, even the shotgun sometimes feels a little more useless in this game, which is why the super shotgun is so rad. Uh, but yeah, that, that health of the enemies where it makes it feel like the what the weapons are that should be power-ups feel more like the base standard in the game. After talking about the core gameplay of Doom 2, and the enemies that entice that gameplay, let's take a look at Downtown's level design. Its structure takes inspiration from the real world. Plus, it's fairly open and interconnected. Plus, it hides away keys that unlock crucial portions of the level. How do these features impact Downtown as a canvas for the gameplay to be painted on? My philosophy on the more realistic levels that try to simulate a real-world location might come across a little sentimental, but I think that if you have levels that resemble real-life locations, they're more easily negotiable just in terms of how to navigate them as you would in a location of real life. So I think that aids in the level design in um, more ways than one as well as uh, contributing to the core mechanics of Doom. That because the structures more resemble like a thing you see in real life, you can more easily key into how to navigate it. Right. Yeah, it's a bit like the uh, uh, in an earlier podcast we talked about uh, in Doom 1 episode, is it episode 3, mission 2, with the hand, and the fact that you know once you realize it's a hand, and there's different fingers, you know, that gives you a schema in which to understand the environment. And yeah, that's certainly true for these two levels as well. Um, although they are um, kind of abstract and a bit weird in places, but they do, you know, fit a certain um, model which we bring to the game. And that can help us to navigate those environments more easily. The complexity from navigating downtown it comes more from the order of the buildings and in some cases how you get into the buildings because it is a, a find the keys in the right order to reach the exit kind of thing. That's what made that more complex to navigate. Yeah, they really screwed themselves over with that, I think. 
<laughs> because you've got fairly interesting challenges. You've got uh, an int- a, a unique way of understanding the level layout. You've got some interesting things with um, enemies in elevation and uh, like in that open space. It's not just an open space, but the enemies, you know, there are various enemies scattered um, amongst the higher floors of the buildings, which can then attack you from a distance. And so there's that going on. And you're like, okay, so the individual bits are pretty tasty. It's a good, as they'd say, it's a good grazing table of different gameplay concepts. And then you're like, okay, well, how do I get from one to the other? And then it's like this mess of locks and keys and it's abstract and stupid. And that's something that actually does also characterize um, some of the levels in the middle of the game. Shadi, do you agree that like the unclear ordering in downtown is a downside? Or like, is there a benefit to that kind of level structure? Well, I think that because it's <clears throat> it's a grid like has a grid like structure, like a real life city. Um, I think you're meant to like feel like you're not really meant, no, you're not really supposed to know where you're supposed to go, like in a real life city. So I think as far as simulating that uh, that feeling again, going back into sentimentality. I think it does, it does a good job. Wait, isn't a city with a grid system easier to navigate? That's yeah. what I always assumed. And, and this also has a grid yeah. city, but people I've, I always know people. Apparently it's like a stereotype that navigating a city is difficult. Huh. Yeah, I guess if you're walking down a street and you're like, okay, which number building is this? And you're trying to find which one it is. It's kind of got that vibe to it going on. Yeah, right. I know what you mean. Weird. I always figured it was the cities with the more... Um, uh, the ones that don't follow grid, the ones that are kind of just like the buildings are put wherever they freaking feel like it, yeah. like in more older cities or... Uh, yeah, like Especially in, in some s- sections of Chicago, I think. Yeah, or like mm-hmm. in Rome. Rome is just... Oh my God, nuts. Yeah, it's just... a whole mess. Uh, there's this one street in Chicago where it's just like three streets on top of each other and even Google Maps can't figure it out where the fuck it is. <laughs> so <laughs> good luck getting an Uber ordering it there. Hmm. Anyways, I digress. If if I were to try to channel yourself, uh, which itself is a dangerous and fraught proposition, uh, <laughs> I think he would say that the purpose of a level like downtown or even suburbs is that um, the weight given to every part of the map is not so much like what you strictly have to do next, but rather that um, this building is incentivized by the fact that you have the first shotgun here versus this building uh, has a BFG, but it's more heavily guarded, so you might go there later so on and so forth, that you have a, a complex network of decisions based on enemy layout and your weapon loadout, and that um, half the fun of playing a level is finding out where everything is and then doing that math in your head of, like, how can I feasibly trace a route through this that you wouldn't get if uh, it was signposted, go here for the red key. 
Yeah, sure. I think the only potential counter, I don't know because I don't I don't know if I would make this point yet. I'd have to replay the level to be sure. I think the one thing that may work against downtown is that there are is uh, through the use of teleporters. In fact, that red building that the arrow points you to, uh, you will revisit that that building multiple times just because it has those drops. Some and then some of those drops uh, lead you to a door, and then one of them leads you to a teleporter, and then there's another teleporter, and then there's another door by that teleporter. So it's a lot of like backtracking to this same spot after you've already killed all the enemies. It's like, okay, now I got to go all the way back here again and see if I missed anything here and if it'll take me to the way forward. That I think that may work against uh, the level. Yeah, there's also um, in that uh, southwestern channel between the rooms, there's also like a one-way paths where I think there's in the square room just north of the rectangular room with the arrow if i'm right that's like a gray room and you have and you have to fall down one of like five different little alcoves and um and then you and if you fall down then you have to go the long way um, to get back up or it, it it's just it's just a big time waster um and you often have to backtrack through the city streets back through the original building again and again Earlier, Adrian mentioned that Suburbs was one of his favorite levels. However, it also gives us a good chance to complain about Doom 2. Where does Doom 2 lack fairness, and how do we mitigate it? If Suburbs is one of Adrian's favorite levels, can it still have BS? Well, actually, uh, there is a lot of BS, but it's not. <laughs> um, but it's not. Um, it doesn't have anything to with hit scan enemies. It's more like the teleporting, which really bugged me because it's it's. Um, and I think this is something that yourself was interested in talking about uh, a bit later on. But it's it plays into the idea that you can't, as a player, you can't really see or you can't easily see and understand how teleports work, and so it just creates this sort of randomness and the example I'm thinking of is in the um, imp closet just near the start in the in the so there's like the center area and there's the building you start with and then there's on the one just to the south of that and you just open the store and it's full of imps and you're like oh okay cool I'll just shotgun them all to death and then you just find they start randomly teleporting behind you and you're like what is this yeah, if I remember, there are either there is an actual teleporter that you can use, or it's one of those weird enemy-only teleporters. You know, like the kind you see in Tricks and Traps. They do that same thing of just the enemies teleported. Where do they go? Behind you. And the this is another uh, flaw that I see with Doom is that sometimes when you're getting into these skirmishes with large crowds of enemies. The soundscape can get so cluttered that sometimes you may not even hear uh, the teleporter in the first place. So, you know, uh, sometimes they'll just get a, a cheap shot on you that way. 
I actually really would appreciate it if they put the enemy sort of teleport ambushes like that in areas more so where you can see them or where they're not like directly behind you deliberately outside of your view you know that would go a long ways instead of you know the kind of setups you would see in e4 m1 yeah absolutely yeah and i didn't really like how in the north eastern corner how like there's a teleport around there and i i remember on one try i was just i would lower the first elevator you know which is like a giant block and so it's pretty much like a giant slab that just falls and rises and so you drop the elevator and then i can't remember what enemy's there but there's a tricky enemy there you get past that and then you drop the one after that and depending on where the imps are and if they've moved through a teleport in that 90 degree boomerang in the top right of the map you know they can be all tucked away in there all magically transported there and so on one time I was playing, I, I accessed the area, I, I lowered the elevator, jumped on, it took me up, and then I was surrounded by about 20 imps who all attacked me all at the same time, and I had no way of seeing they were there. The, this is the one I was thinking of earlier. Yeah, no, this is, was the other bullshit setup of the map that I was thinking of, and it was, as you ride up that elevator, for some reason the ambush opens before you even get to the top. Yeah. So... They're already firing by the time you see what is up there. And the thing's like, yeah, you can hear it, but it's like, you know, I don't know what angle it's going to be coming from until I get to the top. And of course, when you see like it's a whole horde, then, you know, and of course, there's also that fact that they are still able to angle their shots downward. Mm. So, you know, having imps kind of pot shot you from angles you can't see that's another it's kind of the detail i was getting at before where this is where doom 2 is worse than the first which is those differences in elevations that you engage enemies and often where it's to your disadvantage uh, all just because you can't look up or down but the enemies have no problem hitting you from those angles because they have no limit put on them from that yeah and i tried to replicate that scenario a few times and there'd be other times I'd be in that area, do the exact same thing, and there'd be no imps. I don't know if you came across the same thing. No, I didn't. Okay. Um, I did uh, get through that level, you know, one try, though. So that's why I didn't, um, you know, I haven't done my pistol start run of Doom. So it seems like situations with elevators, and especially situations with elevators and teleporters are fraught for kind of surprises that dump you into the middle of a, a fight surrounded by enemies and that maybe height elevation is not super well balanced where enemies often shoot at you from outside of your vision. Shadi, I wanted to ask if you had any other rules of thumb for unfair setups in this game or if, if that's even a thing on your mind. I feel like elevation really is a factor that needs to be taken care of when you're dealing with head scanners. So I'm not really a fan of, um, I don't think anyone's really a fan of uh, the use of chain gunners or shotgunners attacking you from a higher elevation that's in which they're basically invisible. I think industrial zone comes to mind with 
these most egregious examples. <laughs> yeah. It's about it's, that. Yeah. <laughs> the range at which the hit scanners can engage you with is also, uh, you know, silly. I mean, it's cool in Doom that you, with your shotgun, can kind of use it as a sniper, even though it betrays the function of how a shotgun actually works. Uh, it's not as cool when the enemy can do that to you. And especially when you know there are tiny blotch of pixels on the other side of the map. It's also especially not cool. Uh, actually, I'm thinking in some of the early ambushes in like episode 3 when you pick up the yellow key and then you have two chain gunners on opposite sides literally outside of your view. And I'm like, I hate that setup. I mean, once you know it's there, you can deal with it, but you know, that's the caveat. It's once you already know it's there, then you can back away or turn and shoot him as soon as possible to get rid of one of them. But when you hit that the first time, your vision just starts going red. It's like, what the fuck? I'm getting chain gunned at. Yeah, so to that end, maybe a different way to get at essentially the same idea is um, I guess I want to ask Shouty again, like, do you have any advice for when to place a quick save? Or like, uh, you know, when would you place a quick save in a way that makes the level fair but not cheap, you know, where you're not cheating? Well, I was going to say um, after you collect the key, maybe, you can place a quick save because those could work as checkpoints. Um, but not all levels have keys, so I'm not sure what else. I, th I guess when you enter a different general area, you could potentially place a quick save. And that might seem fair, but um, some levels also give you a lot of access to different parts of the level, so it's hard to gauge progression even on that front. So maybe um, when you defeat enough enemies, uh, you can place a quick save. After you feel like you've accomplished enough in the, on that front, um, it might seem fair. Okay, a couple ideas. Adrian, what did you have in mind? So, this was another uh, unique point of criticism that I began feeling more and more as I went through the game, which is that these levels were beginning to get way too long without having any sort of checkpoint, and it's somewhat related to the pistol start design, but more so the fact that in Doom, you are supposed to beat these levels in one go, and some of these levels can take you like 15-20 minutes especially the first time around where you don't know where you're supposed to be going. So I feel like that's another issue with Doom 2 more so than the first game uh, that I was experiencing as I was going through, that uh, the levels are getting too long and you need some kind of checkpoint system. Doom 2 doesn't, so it kind of suffers for that. And I wasn't quick saving as much. When I, I, whenever I would quick save, it was because, you know, I see something stupid going on with the new kids. It's like, okay... I'm going to go down there and see if there's a secret, and if not, I'm just going to reload back to before I dropped in. Or I'm going to go down, hope to God that there's an elevator somewhere here so I can get out of this mess, and if there isn't, I'm going to reload the save. That's when I would quick save. So when I died, I was starting over from the beginning, and in some of these maps, you know, things like Monster Condo, or um, uh, even the one Shouty brought up before, or, no, not the one, not Catacombs. It was some of the ones after that where it's just like, man, this is a level I did not want to start from the beginning again. Hmm. Daniel, do you have access to quick saves? 
Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, it's not so quick because on the PS3 in the uh, BFG edition, it takes ages to load the interface, and so it's not really quick. But I can save. Yes. <laughs> I guess. Uh, I haven't treated the idea of completing a level in one run as seriously as the others. And yeah, anytime I'd see something where, um, actually just uh, just last night, uh, I was working through, um, uh, which map was it? Map 24? Um, yeah, map 24, uh, the chasm, it, where the floor is just full of nukage and there's this sort of thing where you can you navigate your way around the top layer and then you but it's so high up that you can't see the new uh, that you can't get a glimpse of the new kids down below so you really just have to do a leap of faith and you're going to lose health and if you get unlucky you could die and then you have to repeat everything it's like why am i going to do that i'm just going to save it in, in addition to what you're saying before if i i find that in the later half of the game when i would approach a new area what would seem like a distinct new area which seemed quite large I'd save it there as well so I'd sort of um, as Adrian was saying I'd just sort of choose my own checkpoints yeah I feel like I play more like you where at industrial zone I just stopped caring like the levels are too long and so I just put a quick save wherever I feel like it (laughs) but definitely like hard and fast rule always checkpoint before you go into teleporter (laughs) and i found depending on if i was enjoying the first part of the level so if it was something like uh, the suburbs you know i i actually played that level like stacks um and you just so that i could engage with the emergent nature of the level uh you know 10 20 times and to kind of find out where the triggers are and really engage with it but if it's like, you know, if it's like a linear level, like uh, the following level, uh, tenements, and, you know, I go in and the first time that I engage with the challenge, I engage pretty well in it. I've pretty much got the gist. I'm not going to play through that challenge, you know, more than once, you know, because it's, you know, there's not too much counterpoint. There's not too much variation in the challenge. It's like, okay this challenge is offering me one meal and I'm going to have that. It's not like a buffet or anything like that where you can, you know, go back and try something different, which is you know, more what uh, suburbs and dead simple are like. So the nature of the level also affected whether I'd quick save or not. I guess personally, I felt the opposite in that regard where uh, something like suburbs is just overwhelming. And so a quick save is, like something to give me a foothold in a level that's hopelessly open and emergent. Yeah, I mean, I would, I feel much the same actually. I guess what I'm saying is I would, uh, in levels like that where I found, you know, where it was more emergent and where the challenges were more, were more emergent and, you know, I would play around first, um, say for 10, 20 goes, and then I'm like, okay. And then I would kind of save scum my way through and just uh, so that I could focus on individual parts or challenges and chunk out the level in that way. Okay, I see.
Daniel, any closing words of wisdom? Uh, I'm afraid I don't have much wisdom, Greg. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to playing the final, the final few levels and thinking through uh, what the last, what the last uh, third of the game means in terms of uh, Sandy Peterson's level design. Um, I haven't found a way to really talk about that yet. Um, so, you know, where there's a something of a more um, clear pattern in the uh, from what level eight nine through to through to about level twenty, you know, he's he's um, well, I guess there's two things, you know, he's simulating. Uh, particular types of environments uh, with little pockets of interesting challenges and he's also got uh, these um, and in levels like uh, tricks and traps there's also like little interesting challenges that you can all have bleed into one another which is another um, which kind of develops the dead simple idea in a way um, and then that leads into you know levels like the suburbs which are um, which then expand that a bit further so yeah um there's more to talk about with doom 2 it's uh as we started off the podcast you know i think they had a clear idea of what they wanted to do um and they seemingly did it with more confidence i'd say and um therefore it's a much more enjoyable game because they have a clearer purpose behind each of the levels all right Shadi, any final words? Um, <clears throat> I guess uh, my final thoughts on Doom 2 are basically what I said at the beginning, that it's a mixed bag in that it fully, while it still fully realizes um, when Doom 1 started, it's still a mixed bag in its own right in how it tries to execute the fully realized uh, ideas put forth originally. Uh, ranging from, uh, I guess, maybe unfair design and um, levels that might be a little bit too long. But yeah, it's overall a good experience. Adrian, any final words of wisdom? Uh, Final words of wisdom. Not sure about wisdom, but final words. Uh, Similarly, I feel that Doom 2 overall improvement on its predecessor uh, still rifed with uh, many issues, including some new ones. Uh, I am, as far as my own personal studies go, I am interested in seeing more of the relationship between the enemy design and how they are placed in levels. Uh, we kind of breached that a little bit with the hit scan enemies, like what are proper, like you know, level design principles with those type of enemies. Because uh, as I've alluded into some of my own Twitter notes and usings in the podcast. Hitscan enemies by themselves are not bad. Uh, it's how they're placed in relation to the levels and among other enemies that they can become unfair. And I feel more curious about some of the situations that uh, Revenants uh, and even Archviles can be placed into where you know, perhaps they, they fall into some of the questionable territory or what is the best way to bring out the uniqueness of this enemy without it breaching into unfair territories because remember with an arch file if there's nowhere you can go to avoid its line of sight you're basically fucked uh and yeah those are those are my final words 
All right. Uh, I think that's it then. Thank you all for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Greg. All music in this podcast was from Doom 2. If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com.